All right. Welcome, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, to the Get Invested show today. Um, this is uh, one of our GK shows, and it's usually led by uh, Brett Siffling here, our head of or director of Get Invested, um, also a, a young prodigy stock investor that we recruited uh, at a very young age uh, to join our firm um, because he was such a talented person. He oversees our young person's investing group, which is called Get Invested. Um, and then today we have a very special guest. I uh, was you know, on Twitter the other day and this kid uh, came across my feed. And, and so I looked at a couple of his YouTube videos and I was like, oh my God, this kid is great, you know. Not only is, yeah, well, look, I, I think we really want to encourage young people to invest and 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 when you're my age, as young as young as I am, I, I feel like I can only reach a certain market. So I think one of the best ways to be inspired is by having young people like Brett and 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 of course he likes to call himself young investor. What are you, young investor <laughs> too? But his name's really Zachary Cox. He's uh based out of where are you outside of London or something? Yeah, like in the southwest. Yeah, so he's 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 doing his Brexit right now here in England, <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's twelve years old. And I, I think what I I liked the most about your videos was there's so many people on now who just want to tout stuff, you know, like they're just touters, and there's just sort of like, oh, you should be buying options on Robinhood, on Tesla, or whatever, and and it's just a bunch of people are trying to figure out how to lose money. Where I think your real focus was education. And when a 12 year old can educate other people about investing, I think that's a special thing. And, and that's why we wanted to have you on today because um, I'm a big believer that young intelligence isn't based off age. Experience is much more based off age than intelligence. And one of the reasons I've been successful as an investor over my life is by surrounding myself with young people and investing in what young people are doing. And that's kind of one of my secrets is if if I can figure out what the kids are doing, that's the future. And that's where there's opportunity. Um, the challenge is really figuring out what the kids are doing. So there's no better way than to have uh, Zach on today and, and get his thoughts and the way he sees the world. I'm sure it's different than the way I see the world. Um, certainly dealing with his own uh, quarantine and, and I'm sure the issues you have with school. Are you on, on Zoom school over there too? How's that working? No, so we were for like around six months, we were on like Zoom kind of stuff, but now we're back at school. Oh, so you're back oh. in school. Great, great. Yeah, we're back in school now here in the UK. Great, great. Um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get through this COVID crisis and, you know, you're a young guy and you'll be able to talk about it when you're older and hopefully it won't happen again, you know. <laughs> um, but these are stories you will tell people for quite some time, you know, kind of like I tell, you know, 9-11 stories or Iraq war stories, you know, because um, I'm old enough. So let's get into this because uh, I'm really curious. First and foremost, what got you interested in investing just flat out? You're 12 years old. You should be playing Minecraft. Why do you care <laughs> about the stock market? Well, before this, I was kind of a bit of a history geek. I used to love history and I used to read about it. And you used to hear a lot of things about, you know, how finance happened in history as well. You know, how certain events. So like here in the UK, we had something called the South Sea Bubble, which is yeah. basically it was when the stock went from £100 to £1,000 and went to like £80. So do you want to explain about the, the South Sea Bubble to people? Because I know we have a lot of Tesla people watching and, and you know, it's a little bit like the South Sea Bubble, right? <laughs> yeah, so the South Sea Bubble started with a... A lot of hype, oh, this was back in like the 1700s, 1600s. Right. So a lot of hype went around, well, a lot of hype went around London. There was this brand new company called um, South Sea Company. Um, and they, they were basically doing really well in India and stuff. So a load of people brought it in. And every and month China. the share price was going up. Yeah. And, it, and every month the share price was going up and up and up. It started at £100 and it ended up at thousands. So you know, it must have been an astronomical amount of money back in the day. And then it and it crashed because they discovered this fraud and stuff in the company. They were manipulating figures, and yeah. you know, king, yeah, the king was involved. Apparently, the king was the director of the company, so a whole lot of people lost all their money there. There you go, the first so, bubble. See, yeah, the, yeah, the first bubble. I used to read stuff like that, and then when you have a combination of you know, reading about all that kind of stuff, and then you see, and uh, when you when when you see massive you know advertising campaigns to start investing in the stock market and stuff. I was like, my broker did one. I decided I'd give it a go. I put in £40 and 
And now I've, I think when, when, when was it? When was it? So when was the first time you actually invested? The first time I invested, I say it's like five to six months ago. Okay, so so you just started investing, and you and you just yeah, chose exactly. the bottom of the market <laughs> from the COVID <laughs> bear, huh? Yeah. No, well, look, I, at I, you. look at you. You and Dave Portnoy outperforming everybody with the six month, <laughs> uh, you know, six month uh, track record. So, so you finally got enough, uh, or, or you must have had to have your parents help you open an account, right? Yeah. So my parents had to put in their information for the account, and then I put all my own money into there, which I'd saved up over the years. Yeah. You saved it up from doing chores and your allowance and stuff. Yeah, you know, chores, allowances. Cool. I mean, I wasn't really interested. I wasn't really interested for a long time in like loads of stuff so i just if i went on holidays yeah, a long time you, you know remember you know we, you had to learn how to like walk and read and all that stuff first before <laughs> you invested and you, you know you've pretty much hit the youngest age you could possibly start investing right yeah so, what so, was your, so your parents so your parents open the account you put in your money yeah. and now it's an online account i assume and and did you just basically you know just start placing trades was your goal to trade or was it really more you had some investments that you thought would be great ideas and you wanted to just invest in them yeah so living in the uk i started investing in the uk stock market but in the uk stock market, we don't have anything exciting you don't have the ev companies no. you don't have the mega high growth companies and it was just a bit it's just pretty boring you know you didn't find anything really interesting all you had was a little banks and food companies so I started, investing in, I started investing in the U.S. stock market. I, th I think I, I was buying, the, I originally, I was still learning how to invest. I think I brought some like Berkshire Halfway. So was that your first stock? Was that your first stock? First U.S. stock, I think it was Berkshire Halfway. was Berkshire I Hathaway. I just heard that he was sort of, Warren Buffett was a famous investor. And I thought, oh, I might as well just um, put money in Berkshire Halfway. I started to... <laughs> so the, young, you know, the youngest thought, investor in the world chose the oldest investor in the world to start yeah. with huh yeah do you uh, think like, warren yeah, still so, got it <laughs> no i i sold it like three weeks after we <laughs> yeah i was just thinking classic I was gen for, like, a one time it's just food companies so i sold that and i started investing in growth companies and yeah so that's the wait wait so, so hold on so after how many weeks so you had berkshire hathaway for a few weeks and then you realized value investing was dead <laughs> a lot quicker than Einhorn and and a lot of these other guys, huh? So so in three weeks, a twelve year old uh, prodigy, granted, realized that value investing was dead. And so then, what did you do? You sold your Berkshire. I sold my Berkshire, and I started buying growth companies. Um, like I think I brought some. Yeah, I brought Neo Neo at sixteen dollars. Now why why I Neo? Saw... You, you literally went from one of the safer, more conservative stocks you could own. <laughs> to the most risky, right? You know, like a Chinese EV tech player, you know? Yeah, so um, I think when you look at Neo and Tesla, so Tesla people always say it's like an um, automobile company, you know, all they do is sell cars, you know, Tesla's more of a technology company, you've got EV, so you've got their solar coming out in the next few years and whatever they're bringing. I think when you look at Neo as a brand, it's more of a lifestyle company. You've got the Neo house, You've got the whole Neo experience. And when you drive in the big cities, there's always the Neo going down the road. It seems to be a lot more of a brand. You know, you get free courses at the house, you know, free place to work. If you have a business meeting, that's free to have it there when you own a Neo car. So I think it's all revolved around the car for Neo. But you've got so much more than just a car when you buy a Neo. I, d I thought the whole, the story was really interesting about how it started. You know, I didn't, I think I brought out, I brought around 16. And I probably made the biggest mistake ever. I sold it at like 18. No. And now it's at like, yeah. No so, one yeah, ever went broke taking profits. Yeah. And I, and I was just that like, was a $2 profit, though. Here. That's it. I know. Hey, I lost that. Yeah. So I just sort of go. So, up so, and up so have you started your list of things not to do again? Because like I started when I was like 13 and. And I have like this list of mistakes I've made throughout my life, which is really long, you know, when it comes to investing <laughs> and you, and really smart investors just don't do that again, you know, but we all make these mistakes. Yeah. And so then, did you buy it back so, or you just sold it and you're done? I brought it back yesterday. I just <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, I brought so it back I, yesterday. 
I oh, saw wow. it like, every day. I was watching, I was, I was watching Neo Car and Pause and stuff like that. And I saw it going up and up and up. I kept waiting for the pullback, and I thought it's not going to happen. Then we had the um, this uh, new China Chinese bill coming through, which some people thought it was bad. There, but it wouldn't. It just mean that you need. To well, it, it could be bad for Neo. It could be bad for Neo. Yeah, it depends it how their financials are, and that's really my issue with companies like Neo is more. You know, I don't trust what numbers they put on the piece of paper per se. And we have to trust these pieces of paper. And if you've ever seen a Chinese company get audited, you would be nervous. You know what I mean? Um, mm. But, you know, then again, we deal with different amounts of money and, and it's your money versus like I manage other people's money. So if I lose a lot of money, like on a bad company fraud or something, it's, it makes me look real bad. You know, like I haven't done my research. So, so, so that's yeah. why companies like Neo are higher risk in my mind. Not that they're a good or bad investment. And I don't know if Neo is doing anything wrong, but it's just so hard to tell. And that, that yeah, I think is what makes me nervous about yeah, especially Neo. Especially with stuff like luck and coffee. It does make you a bit, totally. does make you a bit, yeah, with luck in and all that, it does make you slightly concerned with it. I think with, with, with Neo, Neo as a brand, you see, I think one of the main risks for me is not necessarily fraud. It's more of the state-owned factory. So the CCP, they own the right. factory, and Neo, ideally, to expand and grow bigger and bigger and bigger, needs to get out of that factory. They want to do it by 2024. I don't know if they're actually going to be able to, you know, cut cut the strings with the um, with the Chinese government in, in the factory if they're actually going to build their own. So I think that's one of the main risks. I mean, well, also, like the, also, I think it's going to be really tough for these companies to scale yeah. battery because there's only so many battery cells you can make right now. And so many of the companies have focused on trying to build cars, but they haven't focused on adding battery capacity. And so we just think a lot of these companies will run into capacity constraint just from a battery perspective, because unlike Tesla, they haven't innovated anything with the battery. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think the thing with Neo is it's not it's not going to be. I mean, Tesla's. I think it's always it's always going to be bigger than Neo. Some some people hail Neo as a Tesla killer. I don't. That's they're nowhere near to that. I mean, I agree. Tesla, yeah, I think give it give it five years, six years. Tesla's gonna be the biggest auto company in the world. I mean, you have some people on CNBC the other day making a fuss that GM was investing eighty eight billion dollars to beat Tesla. Why are they only investing eighty eight billion? I mean, a few years ago, I think Volkswagen said they were gonna go for the electric, but um, I don't think the CEO realized that the third biggest shareholder of Volkswagen was an was an oil tycoon. No, he knows. <laughs> Subsequently, the CEO got fired and Volkswagen decided not to do that. So I think, I mean, 88 billion, whatever, that's not that's not going to be enough to then beat Tesla. I mean, the GM Hummer, there was a huge fuss made about that. Looks great till you realise that the um, some part of the car and the graphics were made by the um, designer of Fortnite. So it's like, right. you're, and, you know, part, yeah, it's like maybe that's what the partnership with Nickel was for to help her develop their EV Hummer. <laughs> I don't know, but, well, it's like, yeah, but I think you're bringing up a very good point, which is that none of these players are committed to success with the EV market, which only gives Tesla a bigger advantage because we've been saying a long time, they've been just trying to placate the market with some product, but they haven't actually built a business around EVs like we're seeing with like Rivian or Lucid, which are EV only car companies where I think there's a lot more potential for those companies longer term, which is the advantage to Chinese companies like Neo or Polestar, which is really the old Volvo, um, which is owned by China, Geely. So we've invested also in BYD um, through an uh, ETF called LIT, uh, the symbol LIT. It's a lith it's lithium and battery technology ETF. And um, one of the top holdings is BYD um, and Tesla. Um, but we really like these Chinese players and I think your, your head is in the right spot. I don't know if Neo at this valuation makes any sense, but, um, but yeah, certainly exactly. are there, are there any other EV players that you like besides Neo? Yeah. So maybe it was a mistake. I'll probably buy back in like next week. I saw well, Tesla three weeks ago to buy, I saw, I saw, I saw I, these EV stocks, they started to, they started to go on the uptrend. And I was thinking, I've been mean, analyzing one stock for a long time. It's called Arkimoto. It's, it's quite an unusual company. It's kind of a freewheel electric vehicle. Which, which, which company is this? Arkimoto, ticker symbol F. Yeah, Arkimoto. You, you gave me that stock. I hadn't heard of it. So I pulled it up. And I was like, <laughs> wow, this is kind of an interesting it company. It looks fun. 
Yeah. So it's tell us about our compatibility vehicle. Yeah, like I hadn't even seen of this thing. And is that Golly? That's that was Golly. Golly. <laughs> yeah, that's Golly. Golly's an yeah. investor. He was investing since one dollar. He's buying big at one dollar, and now they're fourteen. You know, he was on the conference call the no, other day asking Gally's him. Golly's another one of these child prodigy genius kids. Like I, <laughs> I met him a couple of years ago, and and we're good friends now. And and like I, I don't even do research on Tesla much anymore because I just like Gally does it already. So if I really need a breakdown, there's a couple guys who do so much work on Tesla. I don't just waste the time to come up with the same numbers. You know, Galley is one of those guys, you know, and, and another, I mean, maybe we should have had him on a show, but he has his own podcast. So he's, you know, he's really into his yeah, own thing. Yeah, no, he's great. I watch it too. And, and it's hyperchange TV. So if you, if you do want great Tesla information, I think he's a great source. So, so tell me more about Acromoto. So I saw really the main opportunity, not in the necessary consumer product. In the, I saw it more in the kind of the liberator side of it. Yeah, totally. The, 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 yeah, the liberator was their version of you know for delivering. I was thinking when you look at something like that, Domino's or some massive you know delivering chain, I think I saw really there being quite quite big opportunity in that. And I was thinking, you've got a stock here worth 150 million dollars, and I assume you know. Are, are they you know, are they selling the product? Is the product for sale? Yeah. So at the moment, the product is for sale for twenty thousand dollars, a very steep price. But then, if you know Sandy Monroe, they signed a partnership three months ago. He's going to help them scale up to over fifty thousand vehicles a year, which would equate to around seven hundred million dollars in revenue. The stock right now, after a run up of over one hundred fifty percent, is a valuation of four hundred fifty million. So they once they be able to scale up to fifty thousand vehicles, you know that's a deliberator, their um emergency services one, you'll be able to get to the point where you can buy this ten thousand dollars. I mean, when you look at when the massive chain like Domino's or just the just a small local one, I think the Arkmoto deliberator and the whole the whole concept of the vehicle, especially if you're selling to consumer in the southern states, or, you know in Florida and that kind of area where it's nice and hot. You know, you don't get loads and loads of rain all the time. I think it's absolutely perfect for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, but they make them in Oregon, right? And isn't it pretty cold? Do they make them to have these, you know, three-wheeled, open-door, little golf cart things almost? Yeah, so, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah, Oregon is apparently a bit cold, but when you... Can we we put the Acromoto video again so we can see what these things look like? There we go. Yeah, they look pretty sweet. So there's no roof. There's no roof. There's no, no roof. There's so, not no, much there protection. Is there is a roof. There is a roof. Yeah, so oh, there okay. is a roof. Oh, yeah. You, roof. Yeah, but see, like, I think this solves one of the biggest issues that I have with the delivery future that we are in, which is, like, the environment. Because everybody who's delivering your food right now or packages is using a gas-powered car, and it's, like, super bad. It's, like, super bad for the environment. And then I saw these guys trying to deliver stuff with drones the other day, and I thought it was really dumb because they were like using the drone and it was like fiddling around just to try to deliver something yeah. where you could have a little car like this that probably would cost nothing to operate and yeah. just yeah. get through traffic and boom, 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 deliver. Well, I saw in some of their media that they would have like these, they're trying to shrink the ultimate size of the car. So we could even have, you know, two of these side by side in one lane. And, you know, here in LA, that can make a huge difference with traffic. Yeah, totally. Well, there's no traffic anymore, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. The FUV, which they call it, that's able to, that's basically, you need a, most states need a motorbike qualification for that. That means you can overtake. When you can get a motorbike qualification, that also means you can now overtake cars to get to your delivery, your delivery time a lot quicker than the other ones. I think for me, I, I took it, I took what like, it was the biggest bet I'd ever taken on the stock. And I thought, look, I'm 12, what have I got to lose? I've got this this stock which can make me 10x in four years, you know. Money, money in the next four months, money in the next four months when we scale up 50,000 vehicles. I put, I put 25% in portfolio in it. Bing bang! Next week it went up 120. percent So I was really lucky on that. Nice. But I mean, nice. so yeah, so you've, yeah, you started with like, you said you started with like 40 40 pounds. You said 40 pounds. 40 pounds. I put more and more money into it. I so, so what? Now you have three million pounds. <laughs> yeah, no, it's ten million. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've invested. Yeah, I've, 
I've, I've, I've, I think I made some like 60% so far. So it's been doing, 60% it's been doing pretty well. Six months, so that's nice. Well done. Yeah, thank you. So, well, yes, I think a few I, lessons though. Let's, let's start off with some lessons learned that you've brought up because I think this is why a lot of people want to pay attention to these shows, not just for stock picks, because this is a great idea, by the way. And if I make money off of it, I promise I will buy you an Xbox. And um, the, I'm getting the Xbox X. Some kid, some kid sending me one, so I'm I'm excited. I have an Xbox. <laughs> no, um, wasn't lucky. It, some kid offered. You know, it's like I'm famous enough now that somebody was like sent me this. You know, I was like, wow, thanks. I need an Xbox because I was bitching on Twitter. I can't get one. Um, I'd like to play you tonight, by the way, Brett. And um, so, lesson number one: selling too quickly. Okay, selling too quickly. Lesson number one: when you make an investment and it's working for you. Why would you sell it? Well, you're like, oh, I've made some money. I should sell it. One way you can protect against that is sort of like a mental stop loss order or a real stop loss order where you say to yourself, you bought it at 16. Let's say now it's at 18. Okay. If I put a stop loss order in at 16 or I just decide if it goes below 16, I'm going to sell it so I, I won't lose money. But, but there's no, what's the incentive to sell it? You see what I'm saying? It could keep running just like your Neo did. And so like yeah. one lesson I learned is, I've learned is making absolute decisions. Like I'm going to sell all my stock. You're, you're out. So maybe if you're made a little quick money, take a little bit off, but then you want to keep some of it back in even on stocks, like where I've made good money and I sell most of it. A lot of times I still keep some just because it could still keep going higher. It, you know, so on and so forth. So, so making absolute decisions, investing, Ha it's like market timing in a way it could work, but it also could not work. And in your case, like in this example, it costs you a lot of return that you could have made on, on your idea. So if the idea is still good, you got to be able to sit through the volatility up and down so that you can take advantage of it. And the second lesson is dollar cost averaging, which is by buying little bits at a time, it's once again, you're not making this absolute decision. I bought it at 16. I sold it at 18. You know, it's like I bought a little here. I bought more. So if you're buying as your position's working and it's sort of like the way you bet is just as important as the idea. So, so you want to yeah. double up on your winners, not sell them. On the other hand, you want to sell your losers quick. So that's the second lesson. And you, and you did that perfectly with your Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway hasn't really been performing. You realized that this was not where you were going to make money after a few weeks when the markets were moving, and it wasn't. So you moved on quickly. You sat there at the exact same price. That goes going down like oh, right. A week. But see, the smart Why thing. Why not stuff at all? But the smart thing was you that have... you sold it, you know, and and that you realized that it wasn't working for you. Sell your losers quickly. It's it's the most important lesson. I have learned in investing that sell your losers quickly. I, 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 I can't tell you how important that is uh, as an investor. So let's back up a little bit. I would, I would add a third lesson on there oh, too, actually though, Ross. So, you know, you, Zach, you talked a lot about this bull case, right? Like in um, you know, FUV, the fun utility vehicle, but I challenge you to actually, you know, look at the bear case too and why all these um, reasons why this company might not work out. Um, you know, like, for example, yeah. with that company, they have a huge cash burn and they don't have a lot of cash in the bank. So you could be buying into yeah, something they where they might dilute shareholders. Right. And they might raise a bunch they of money do, on they you. They do dilute. Yeah, the other okay, day. Did they? Nice. So, yeah. yeah so, the other day, you know, so the so, yeah, stock price went up 100% a week and they made an agreement with a private institutional investor. They were going to buy $50 million of stock uh, around, I think, it was something like $15. I think it's like 12 now. It's quite an awesome. enthusiastic institution. Yeah, quite an enthusiastic one. So I think the whole mentality in that was they're not just going to sell this onto the market. So you're not going to have loads of new stock getting traded every day through hands. I, they, that's what they've been doing most of the time. I mean, before we had all the EV stocks run up, this, this stock had a warning on its balance sheet saying it's going to go bust in six months. They didn't have any cash. They burnt through. They went public so, so early. It went public in 2017. When we didn't even have the current product we had, they were still experimenting. They were probably at six dollars. You run down sixty-four cents. We've gone all all the way up. As we've now got an actual product, we've got a partnership with Sandy Monroe for fifty thousand vehicles a year. It's all starting to kind of come together. But I think really a main risk of Arkimoto is it's not going to sell. 
there's that real risk with especially that kind of product. It's uh, well, that price point. Know, the price point is high. Got... They'll have to get the price point down. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, so that's the whole idea. Yeah, from twenty thousand to ten thousand, getting that price point down, and hopefully getting it lower to eight thousand at some point. But that's a scale and thing. Next... Yeah, that's a scale thing. Yeah, yeah. And so at the moment, they're producing two vehicles a day. When we get to that fifty thousand partnership, we're producing like ten, twelve. Which is, you know, which is also just a study yeah. being done too, right? It's not necessarily yeah, like they can even make it happen. Point is is really valid in that, like, one. I think the smartest thing an investor can do is look at the best case against your stock, and and yeah. you know, we did that. You know, like when I when when Tesla was down and we were kind of eating crow. I uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time looking at what the bears were saying and and really analyzing it and and I sort of came to the conclusion that a lot of them were were biased based off their dislike of to Elon and it was coloring their viewpoint on the industry and the company and and when I realized that so many of the bears were colored with their emotions that was a huge advantage being a bull because they and so I went up to the factory and that's when I met the team and and saw everything and that's when I was convinced that they were wrong. Um, because they actually hadn't been to the factory. That was my first question. I said, any of these short sellers actually come here? Yeah. And they're like, no. no and I was like, so they're betting, right, they're betting all this money against Tesla and none of them even came. And they were so excited I came, you know, and I was like, well, I'm coming. And like, they were sort of like, like, a you know, the, a hated company back then, you know? And, um, and so I went and they gave me the full tour and showed me everything and, and very open, which, you know, like, I wonder if Neo would do that. You know, like if I flew to China, would Neo let me talk to all their executives, walk through the factory, talk to random employees? I bet you there is no chance that that would happen. Zero. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but looking at the bear case, I think has a lot of value um, as, as far as like a, a lesson, um, especially in, you know, highly valued, I would say speculative growth stocks where, the opportunity is huge, but you know the risk is also large. And so, how do I mitigate risk? And it's certainly good to know what those risks are really, really well. Now, I want to take a step back here for a minute and go back to where are you getting your information from? Where do you where do you yeah. learn so much? I mean, you know, some kids your age, you know, I think video games are probably the most. We're big investors in the video game industry, and and you know, it's, I'm sure you play Fortnite and stuff like that too, like everybody. Um, you know, instead of playing Fortnite, you're reading like financial reports and stuff. So where are you getting your information and, and what's your inspiration? Yeah, so originally at the start, I was like just watching YouTube videos and stuff. I still watch a few, but I'm not really too bothered about YouTube videos anymore, as in just watching them. You know, if it is a stock I've never heard of, if it's from YouTube, I like, I might, I might watch it, then do a bit of research if I think it's interesting. So, so a lot of it started on YouTube. Yeah, so it started on YouTube, but now it's kind of transitioned into more. Um, when I when I if I find a new kind of growth stuff, whatever, you know, I read I read what they're making, what they're losing, you know, financials and stuff. I mean, the other day, like which websites do you like to use? Which websites do you like to use? Yes, yeah, so I use stuff like Seeking Alpha. Yeah, see, I and, use Seeking um, Alpha too. Yeah, and Seeking Alpha and some. That may it's mainly Seeking Alpha, and if I'm looking for an individual stuff, I just type it up and see what everyone's saying on that on that one stock and then I you know I might watch a few CEO interviews see how the company how he's coming across. Have you watch any traditional uh, financial media do you watch do you watch any of the shows yes yeah, so, so in in the UK it's pretty hard to you there's no really business channel so I think CNBC shut there's down no business channels I'm on the BBC <laughs> <laughs> yeah no there is BBC business but um when you when yeah, you I'm on it I mean come on CNBC, I just did Reuters. You have no. Reuters in England. I'm I'm on there. No, no, I do watch that. But I think the thing with my dad, he has this thing. So we can we I watch CNBC down his house sometimes. Um, so I think I like it quite like quite like he has CNBC, this thing. You mean like a satellite? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he has like a satellite. So, so, he gets, so um, do either of your parents work in the securities industry or in banking? No, none of them do. My dad's so, a chef. So your dad's a chef. So, and so, so instead of cooking, my dad's a dentist. My dad's a dentist. I didn't want to be a dentist, you know. Yeah. Like so, as a kid, I actually learned from my grandfather. There was no YouTube back then. My grandfather was an investor, and and he would like sit at his desk working, and I was like wondering what he was doing as a kid, and he would show me 
He's like, these are stocks. Don't go in this drawer because this is where I keep all my information. So of course that was the drawer I was fascinated with. And, and I would go through this drawer and he would show me like the stock certificates because back then you would have your own stock certificates. And then he would show me the checks he would get in the mail for dividends. Now I thought this was amazing that you could have somebody just send you money every quarter for doing nothing. And I was like, I, I got to learn this, you know, like it's a lot better than, you know, my dad, who's a dentist, right? You know, it's like, I didn't want to be a dentist. So I, I wanted to learn about stocks and be like my grandfather. Um, and, and that was, but it was really hard to get information. Like I used to read like this, what was it? A value lines. Like I would have to go to, uh, the library, um, and, and get these things when I was a kid. So, so that's what I used to do to get information. So I think for young people today, it's so awesome that you're able to get access to information so easily with the downside being there's so much garbage out there. You have to sift yeah. through. Where did, where do you get your information, Brett? Brett, where did, where did you, when you started investing, where did you get your information from? It was a lot of the same places on, on Seeking Alpha and uh, different mentors that I had found on Twitter, actually, um, that have just shown me what to do and basically mostly company financials. Um, Seeking Alpha was a huge part when I was starting to kind of getting that bull and bear case from a very easy point of view. Um, and then also, I just liked following stocks. So like I would just follow them for long periods of time, so ones that I was interested in and kind of learn the story that way. Yeah, I mean... I owned like Apple and Disney, like when I was a kid. And so like, it was real tangible to me because I used the products too and everything. So like, I think that was an element of it for me, which was like, I would like walk around and see things and be like, wow, this is doing really well. I should invest in this, you know, like, so it, like it made sense to me to own Disneyland. It made sense for me to own at the time. It was like an Apple Mac, you know, was, was coming out and all that stuff. And, and it just made sense. Um, um, Zach, do you trade from your phone or do you trade from your computer? Do you hear Zach? I don't know. Maybe he's frozen. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Your connection was just cracking up then. Oh, I said, do, yeah, so do you, when you invest, do you invest? Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So mostly, um, I use, just use my phone for the investing and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Mobile. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's super interesting in a way. It's <laughs> like, so many people on Twitter who are like the new traders have set up like 17 screens and they're, you know, their whole like trading setup to track multiple indexes, <laughs> yeah. whatever. But I actually think the future is people trading on their phone and, yeah. you know, you don't really need all these screens, to be honest. I don't want to burst any. That's what I used to do in high school is a straight iPhone with one of those extended batteries that would plug in. Well, you got screens now, buddy. You day. got a bunch of screens now. <laughs> What yeah, uh, broker do you use? Yeah, so in the UK, we were originally Robinhood was going to launch, but um, they decided not to because they wanted to focus more on the US side. So I basically use a UK version of Robinhood, which is trading to them too. Um, you know, uh, you might have the occasional problem. Yeah, if you because they had such an influx of you know customers, like you've seen in the US with companies like Robinhood, there's more and more people in the UK who are investing now. You know, there's a lot. There's of, a lot know, of people building these. Companies apps like robin hood yeah. in foreign countries yeah, so, like i, I um, did some in, stuff with yeah so in like in the uk like i mean we, we're we're gonna hopefully be launching in the uk uh in uh oh, feedback here uh we're hopefully gonna be launching in the uk next year uh early next year so uh hopefully when you get older maybe you'll run it for us um <laughs> seriously so um so going back to your process, okay. So you, you, where do you, where's your idea generation come from? Do you wake up in the morning and you're like, instead of dreaming about like elephants and traveling, you're like, oh, like the the Queen's Gambit. I was, I saw Neo in my roof, you know, when I went to bed. Like, what, where's your, where do you see the future? What, what, what drives your inspiration? Yeah. So. <laughs> It's funny, I did have a dream about stocks the other day. Let's see. I knew it. There it I knew is. it. He's a Queen's Gambit, one of these kids. He's dreaming about ponds and rooks. Yeah. Yeah, I did have a dream the other day. And I, I, when I was watching one of the parts on the stock market, the stock went up a thousand percent and earned the second trade. I, thinking, I had a dream oh, in it, and it came true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, dream came just, true this year. Yeah, yeah. so. 
Yeah, I mean, this yeah, it's definitely in a kind of crazy year and like stock market investing. But um, I you know you know when inspiration is stuff. Sometimes in New York, I was in um Bristol the other day on holiday. Um, you know, and you so when you even if you just see something on the news or whatever, and you so one of the, in the UK stock market we haven't recovered from the crash, so we're still in a crash situation. I'm the only UK stock for a long time, but one of them Primark, which some you know it's quite it's pretty cheap. You know, kind of one of the big, you know, consumer and um, clothes shops. You know, really cheap. You know, maybe maybe not the best quality of clothes, but you know, really popular. And while you see all the rest of the shops in the high street are empty, that one's got two, a, a, a queue of two hundred people lining right around the block, right? Just trying to get in. Yeah, trying to get to some, a shop like that. We call and it it's boots thinking, on the ground. We call it boots on the ground research. We we do that all day long. Yeah. So the other day I was thinking about buying. What the first UK stock I was going to buy in a long time. I went in the store and I was thinking, yeah, we're allowed back out. This is before the second lockdown here in the UK. And um, I was out, I was out, I was about, and I was thinking, look, you've got like, God, you've got so many people out there and no one's in here. And I didn't buy the stock just because of that. I mean, I mean, Beyond the Meat, for example, some people say, why don't you beyond buy Beyond the Meat? Me? I like that. Beyond the Meat is better than Beyond Meat. <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't eat that beyond. stuff. Do you eat that stuff? I, I don't think British people eat fake fake meat, right? No, we no, we really don't. But I I tried <laughs> one once, and all it tasted was corn. It maybe maybe it wasn't cooked in the best way, but oh, all it's it tasted gross. Was no, corn. dude, it's gross. You, I, yeah, I you tried it. I never ever. I will, after that, after that, I will not buy Beyond Meat stuff just because that thing tasted corn. You know, I was thinking you're claiming <laughs> the worst thing is. You're not saying this is going to be it. You're claiming this is going to taste like me. I agree, man. I agree. I'm with you. I'm with you. Wait, why do you like Tattooed Chef then? Yes. Yeah. Well, Tattooed Chef's different. They're not marketing themselves as a meat meat alternative. They're saying, it's unlike you buying your ready-made meal, which is really unhealthy on the supermarket, buy a Tattooed Chef one, which is basically a ready-made meal. It's way healthier and you just quickly put it in the oven and then it's made. So it's like it's like a healthy meal versus like I'm replacing meat. It's still yeah, yeah it's planned. This is, this is, see this was my thing with Beyond Meat. I agree with you 100%, which is like my wife is very healthy and and cooks very healthy and 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 she wouldn't eat the Beyond Meat because she doesn't really want the taste of meat. She doesn't like <laughs> meat. She, she you know she'll have vegetables. She doesn't need fake meat. You know, I really saw that as a way to convince people like at the fast food places maybe to eat healthier. Um, but I'm not convinced that it's even healthier, to be honest. Um, yeah. So it looks like you they know, put the exact same stuff in, just no meat, and they dump an extra load of, you know, flavor. Yeah, I'm a big believer. Eat vegetables if you're going to try to be healthy. Just eat vegetables. Yeah. Like you know, it's, it's. I mean, we can go into health all day. Um, speaking of which, um, you know, I know you have a bedtime. Do you, do you actually have a bedtime, or you just the, do your parents just let you go to bed when you're ready? No, I go to bed like. From that, it's probably like an hour, an hour and a half. Just you know. Yeah, because uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble with your parents. I, I you <laughs> or your teacher. <laughs> I thought we started. I know. I thought we started with enough time, but you're you're well ahead of us time wise. So, uh, being in England, so uh, it is later in in the evening there. Uh, so thank you for 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 doing this, and um, and I'm sure your parents are are super proud of you. Um, in the sense of, you know, it takes a lot of guts to to go out and be in the media and, and, you know, do shows with crazy people like me and, and, you know, uh, go out on Twitter and put out your ideas. And as I was saying earlier, you know, there's a lot of haters out there, a lot of, yeah, facing that criticism, you know, and, and you're a young guy and it, it, it can be daunting, you know, and, and it takes a certain type of individual to put themselves out there. And I give you a lot of credit for that. I, I, I have a lot of respect for that. And, and, and I know, uh, especially the bullying, you know, I'm a victim of it often, but you know, it doesn't bother me because I don't care, but when you're 12, it's different, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, I just want to say, I think you're, you're, you're a great kid and, and doing a great thing. Um, putting yourself out there, not to mention the lessons you're going to learn and the doors that you can open for yourself in your life. You know, um, it's, it's really a cool thing. I, I think the thing that fascinates me the most is, your level of understanding uh, complex totally. concepts <laughs> at such a young age. Um, and, you know, I have smart kids, you know, but, you, you know, you're doing pretty good, you know? And uh, 
So so let me get something out of you. You're in England. Brexit is is going on right now. It it seems like the disaster that will never end. Um, what happens to England moving forward? How, how do you see your future being British? Tough question. I would say going going forward. I think I think the thing the problem is England and well, that might be you know deficit when you get out of all this. I think England's debt surpassed two trillion dollars. You know we're at probably two point one now, and we're spending you know more and more money. Eventually down the line, you're going to have to cope with that. Um, it's, it's, I find it, yeah, I mean, with Brexit and all that, it's like, there's good and bad, isn't it? You know, you've got your goods, you've got your bads, you know. I get like, that, what, what do you feel? Like, do you feel as a 12-year-old kid that you're going to be better off in five or ten years because of Brexit? I don't really know, to be honest. I think you've got to see how it pans out. You know, you've got promises from both sides of the aisles. I mean, you've got, right. you've got one side with the leaders saying, you know, it's all going to be better after, you know, we're going to have more and then got to remain the same, we've got to remain and all that. And then you have, you know, then you have people who switch sides all the time. You, know, you don't you don't really, I think you've got just got to see how it pans out in five years and, you know, if it's good, great. If it's not, you know, you've got to live with it and you've got to adapt to that. But, you know, we've... Right, but I mean, you know, I'm just saying from your opinion, it's just too tough to call, like, whether yeah, this is yeah. a great idea I, or not. I, I mean, I kind of think I, it's dumb personally, but, uh, you know, it's mostly because I think there's a lot of benefits to the EU if everybody worked together. But England wasn't fully in already because it already had its own currency. So, like, I don't know. I think I feel the same way you do. I, I, I was just. I think nobody really knows, right? It's hard, yeah. Yeah. But I like, mean, but like, part of me wanted me to invest in England. Like, you know, part of me thinks like maybe England's a value right now. Um, is, and then part of me thinks it's a dying empire that's been dying for two hundred years and it's only going to get worse. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're if especially in the English stock market, I've been doing a lot more research into it recently. And when you if you can pick some of those value plays out, you know, right now, look at what their growth was before the pandemic. I think in general you see some areas in in the UK which have been doing dreadfully under the EU, and with you know maybe might do better out or might you know just do worse or just say the same. But I think with the UK stock market in general. I think there's opportunity to be made out in the UK stock market. With all you, with you, um, I'm not a massive value investor, but when you've got a stock market which hasn't recovered from from a pandemic, you know, we have obviously had a jump because of the vaccine use, but when you look at a market which is still in that situation, or after coronavirus, you know, you, there's so many solid companies out there. If you pick the ones which are really popular and still down right now, I don't think there's a chance you can really lose. From, from in England. Yeah, I, I think mean, with, in England, I was thinking like real estate, you know, like real estate in England is down, office buildings are down, you know, all these big companies have pulled out, moved to Paris or Germany or whatever. And and you know, I think there's opportunity. I I'm just not convinced that this is just the long slow decline of the British Empire. You know, like I I'm not convinced that this isn't just another bad decision. That I was hoping maybe you'd convince me more, but it seems like people in England aren't sure how this is going to be yeah well to be honest like down here and stuff we're very much i'd say we're quite you know you know down here in north we're pretty we i think the whole area in north in england and down in the southwest a lot of people don't think of southwest but in some of the areas and southwest especially it's pretty pro leave because in the sense you've have we haven't got anything under brexit um under the eu in the sense you you know you've had your ifs and buts it hasn't really made the sense. I mean, I think some of the stuff which bothers people is that you've got all the um, you don't control your own, you don't control how many people come to your country, you can't regulate right. anything, and then you, and because I think what uh, what annoys you, I think there's a fair point in the sense that you see like these undercover investigations, and you have some of these illegal immigrants they're getting housed in a hotel and trashing towns, you know, small little villages which they're getting housed in, and then you've got war veterans on the streets. Now, right. That's, then that might be the UK government's fault, but when you've got, well, I think that's kind of what made people feel quite angry about all of it. But then, especially in like the London area, the more industrialised area, the feeling was, you know, we're part of the EU. You know, the city, the city's very much part of the EU. You know, um, I think, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. Yeah. So there's, then there's that feeling in the city that they they love the EU, but I think in certain areas of stock markets, I'm like. If you look at the most well, look, you, take it, you, you take control of your destiny and you're not 
dealing with stupid EU things, which is clearly hurting the EU. I that that all I think you've hit the complexity of the issue on the head. And and so there's a, a benefit to England big time, or at least the perception within England, and and there's going to be a cost too. And it's whether those things reconcile themselves to be a net positive. And and maybe it does turn out to be a net positive, I think. Um, but let's move forward. Wh what about America? We just went through the Trump era. It was the worst era in American history as far as for human rights and, in you know, I would say for civility and for uh, what we stand for as a country. So it's been a, a really devastating time in America, even though markets have mostly gone higher. Um, now Joe Biden is one. What do you, how, how do you see this working out? You know, we've got 3,000 people dying a day. We actually have no coronavirus-like policy at all here in this country. Um, how do you see the U.S. markets going forward for 2021? 2021, I think the whole stock market is going to, I think, I think the really interesting about Biden is if you're in the oil industry, if you're owning some of the oil giants like Chevron and all that, it is not going to turn out too good for you. No. You're, the oil companies and all those kind of companies, they're going to continue to slip into 2021. No one's really interested. But then you have the anything really EV, clean energy related, I think it's going to carry on going back up in 2021. More benefits rolling out to encourage more people to go EV and clean the future. But I think there's really going to be two sides of the market. It's going to be like maybe like the, the middle line with the boring companies stay in the middle, you know, right. don't really do anything. Maybe like AT&T and stuff like that. Then you've got Chevron totally, and all the oil dollars. Yeah. Then you've got Chevron. Maybe Berkshire Hathaway could be classed as a very boring company. Then uh, you know what? We, we actually are, are looking at Berkshire Hathaway because, you know, people don't live forever. And we kind of think that, you know, if they broke up, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, it's probably worth a lot more broken up than together. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think... Um, I think the thing, my thing with my Duga have a problem with Berkshire happening in the sense that Warren Buffett 10 years ago was a great investor, but I kind of see what he's doing now. And he, 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 some people were saying to me the other day, um, they were like, oh, so, you know, I, I took profit on one stock. I didn't sell the whole position, actually. I sold 60% of it. This was 120% in two weeks. I thought, I'll sell 60%, keep the rest, goes up, goes down. There you if go. Down, might buy back, yeah, might there buy back go. in. But people saying, oh, you're more of a trader. And I said, uh, so is Warren Buffett a trader when he sells sells his Costco stock? Is he sold the whole of his Costco stock the other day? They're 40x multiple, but maybe it's more expensive. Do you think of Warren Buffett? Is he? I don't know. He's got, if you ask Warren Buffett what's up, you know, he said he never invested in EV, and you know he never invested in Tesla and stuff. You know, then he's gonna old good old good old General Motors, <laughs> um, which, which is better. His portfolio than Ford, sucks. But... I mean, his portfolio sucks. You can say it. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> It's garbage. And, and then the best investment, like he wouldn't invest in technology. And then finally, I think those young guys convinced him to buy Apple. So he piles into Apple, makes the most money he's ever made. And now Berkshire Hathaway is basically 25% Apple. <laughs> yeah, I think it might actually be 40%. Like I know, seriously. It, it, I you know, know you might be right. It. You know, yeah, but like when I think about, I think you're 100% right. My, you know, my stepfather's a real, real smart guy and, and he's in his 80s. And I think older people, you know, they obviously, depending on your life and your brain and your genetics, you, you change as you get into your nineties. I, I mean, to think, I, I, I don't think there's any chance I'll be as sharp as I am today when I'm 90. I just don't think so. That's kind of why I have Brett and you on the, <laughs> on the line now, because you know, the way I, I look at it is I will be, I already rely on young people not only for ideas and, and, and helping me, um, you know, I just don't know how he does it with so many old people around him, you know, and not, not surrounding himself with young. He does have two guys, you know, that, that do stuff for him. But like at our team, I'm the only, I'm like the old, second oldest person in the company. I think I hired somebody just so I wouldn't be the oldest person. And, <laughs> um, and, and thank God for Greg. And, but like, I love having young people around me because, I feel like from an idea generation standpoint, if I'm investing in the future, like how does a 90 year old have a vision of the future? You know what I mean? It's like you have a vision of the past, very clear, but a vision of the future when you're 12, your past was like diapers and stuff. You know what I mean? And so like all you have is a vision of the future. And that's what I think 
why it's so interesting not only talk to you and get your viewpoints because they're very similar to mine, which I believe clean energy is going to be one of the greatest themes of the next decade. And it's not by choice. It's, it's because of climate. And um, you think about even the weather today in LA is like the middle of October and it's like December, you know? And I'm like, okay, we have Santa Ana winds today and high temperatures in December. Like is it's, you know, we're approaching Christmas. Oh, I know. It's going to be like Hawaii. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, so climate, so we all agree here that climate is going to be a driver of technology and investment opportunities into 2021 and beyond. What other themes motivate you? Because I know we talked a lot about clean energy today, and I think you're right on, and I'm I'm with you with all that. But it's not the only thing we're investing. You know, we're investing a couple other themes. One theme I'm not going to bring up because you're too young. And then the <laughs> other theme, um, and then the other theme we think video games are the new social media. We're very heavily invested in gaming. We love the gaming industry. We think gaming is replacing a lot of other activities, including physical sports. And and kids live on these games now, but it's like social media. I log on. I want to play with Brett at night. And, you know, it's like, that's what I want to do. What yeah, do you think? So what? I think yeah, so seeing next opportunities, <laughs> so it's actually the thing which you would have mentioned. Um, I think I own one of those stocks. I only own one, and that's one I've been investing in recently. Um, it's more, I think it's you're probably about, the only... You're talking about the stocks that are too, too uh, advanced, or uh, not advanced. That you shouldn't be talking about with a twelve-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. you know. That so so you do own one though. I own one of them, and that is Grow Generation. It's the biggest hydroponics retailer in the whole United States. Now, did you explain uh, this investment called? premise to your parents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah. I did actually explain it to them, and one was like, uh, "It's all right." I, I got to meet your parents. We got to get your parents on the show the next show. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, but Seriously. I think with it, we. Have you ever heard of Grow Generation? Have I heard of them? No. No. Have you? So they're, so they're, so they're the biggest hydroponics retailer in the whole country. You know, they supply everything you you need for be able oh, to. Oh, right. It's kind of like SMG. Um, yeah. Oh. You get all, everything you need in that store. You know, um, they're really you have not got much competition in this space. You buy up you're the largest competitor, which has five stores the other day. Five stores. That's nothing. You're up 35, 40, 50 stores, whatever it is now. You've got loads of cash on hand, you know. You're ready to, you know, go in and buy buy buildings like that, as they're showing on the screen, you know, which maybe aren't in the best state, and then they transform it into a new store. They're constantly buying competitors. You know, that's what I seek an outlet. It's just throw generation requires four more stores. Grow generation requires six more stores. Grow generation requires two more stores. They're constantly acquiring more and more and more stores. And then, then they're beating, they smash, like, the last sales figures by, like, like you said, something, it's something crazy. And they, and are they, are, they, are they domestic US or are they uh, global? Domestic US, yeah. They're in the yeah. US only. And I think they, they do represent a real opportunity, especially as more and more. So th this is in your portfolio world. currency. Like, Do you mind telling us what's in your portfolio currently? So yeah, so in my portfolio, I've got um, like stuff like Arkhamoto, Tattoo Shop, and some right. of the small I've got all of my one dividend stuff I've got, and it's store capital. Mm -hmm. Only because I see some opportunity in mainly the growth side of it. Well, I'm, like gl I'm glad you have one dividend stock. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, something to provide, you know, it's like store capital, unlike, you know, the other um, renters like Summer Capital and some Property Group and that kind of stuff. You know, you'll have, if you've got Home Depot in your mall, they, Home Depot ain't, isn't going to tell you. How much money they're making in that store so you've got no idea you can you can maybe have a very rough estimate but home depot aren't going to tell you how much you're making in that store you can't place the rent accordingly to how much when you're offering a chain of five stores another chance of another location they've got some uh, you know when you look into it they've got a you know solid kind of balance sheet then you're thinking hang on here there's an opportunity here and that's really what i like about um store capital store capital Yes, yeah, store capital. So, all right. so, so how many stocks do you have in your portfolio? 11. 11. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's a good amount. And I think that's a good place to start. I think you should have at least 10 stocks in a portfolio in my mind and in sort of a maximum of 20 to 25. Um, but once you get past that, I think you're either over diversified or too concentrated. So if you have less than 10 yeah. stocks, you're kind of concentrated. If you have if you have more than 25 stocks, you, you're, you got, you're all over the place, you know, so you're, you're kind of right in the sweet spot. 
And obviously, when you're 12, investing for growth obviously makes sense. You're not an income investor at this point. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and really, you know, when you think about time horizons, in a way, because you're smart, it's like, it's almost like weird to think like, in 20 years, you know, you're still like really young, right? But like, a lot of your investment premises can really play out over these periods of time. And, and that's sort of the secret to how I built you know, my wealth was because I've always invested since I was your age. And I just kept adding to what I was doing uh, on my job. And, you know, when I played my band in college, I would, I would save and invest that money and I just kept doing it. And I built that up to a few thousand bucks when I graduated college. And, and then, and, and then I ended up doing this for a living because I was trying to be in the music business, but I thought it was, it ended up being horrible business to be in. So I decided to stick with investing and and it happened to be 1994, which was the beginning of the greatest bull market of all time. And, you know, it was, it was a wonderful time to start my career. Um, going to Brett real quickly, um, if, as, a, as the middle-aged person here, you know, in your, in your early 20s uh, or 25, so mid-20s, um, what advice would you give uh, Zachary to help him be a better investor? Yeah, so I'd say the number one thing looking back is um, not getting caught with the trying to make a quick buck or yes. whatever, or chasing yes. stocks, right? So pick, like you said, like a handful of companies, like I like that 10, 11, you know, stocks and stick with them because what you're going to learn is trading and day trading and short-term trading is very, very difficult. But if you pick really solid companies over the long-term five, 10 year time horizon, you can make much, more, much, much more wealth, like real wealth versus trying to make a quick buck day to day. So I think, you know, if I were to go back to when I started when I was 14 years old and I would have just picked a handful of stocks instead of doing all of the trading that I've done over the years, um, a lot of times it, you know, the returns from actually just investing and sitting on your hands is, is a lot more you, you know, that's that's great advice, Brett. And and it reminds me very much because when I started at 13, you couldn't trade. There was no way. <laughs> so I had to like convince my mom's Smith Barney guy to like buy four shares of Apple or whatever. You know what I mean? And so it was like there was no online. There was no like trading when you had like a small amount of money, you know, so that wasn't even an option. And then in the early 90s, I was one of the first people to ever place an online trade on Charles Schwab started online trading. And I, I had a laptop. I was the only one in, in my firm. I actually worked in a company that had no computers when I started. And I had a laptop and I started trading. But I learned those lessons really early on um, by tracking every trade. I used to track every trade that I made and every stock that I would own. And I would do this on a piece of paper because we didn't have really good computers back then with really good software that could do this. And I would write these things down in this thing called the Stock Traders Almanac. I don't know if you've ever seen this thing, uh, Zach. It's called the Stock Traders Almanac. It's a book. It's a physical book, but it's a, an amazing book of statistics and information about stocks. And so I would use this book to track my stocks and so on and so forth. But one of the lessons that I think that if anybody learns from this conversation is so important is the more I trade, the less returns I make. So the more trades I place per year, the lower the returns I make are. So I think about every trade before I make it because I, in a, in a great year, I shouldn't have to do that many trades. Okay. So like the idea is you're buying a good stock. You never have to sell it. That that's the ideal, you know, but all these people who, especially now pitching that they're making money, um, pitching that trading is the way to go. Um, it is not. Um, it is definitely. And all not. of a sudden, they have a, a subscription site that you have to sign up for nineteen ninety nine. I know. I know. <laughs> well, see, I yeah, it's, 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 see, it's I a to... shame really with it. Yeah, it's a shame really with this because then you have all the. Uh, it's always got the scammers on on YouTube. Yeah, right. I'm not here to tell you. I'm not here to tell you that you're going to get rich quick and get a million bucks in five days, but you can make a grand for five hours worth a week. So I have to link <laughs> yeah. the description. Well, well the easy, funny, the easy money. <laughs> Yeah, I was walking the other day to school, and I, I'm not, I've never, I've never ever seen one of these boxes before. And I saw a Herbalife box. That was big. I was thinking, I, I'm sure you've had a Herbalife. I was thinking, oh no, those people have probably lost a whole lot of money buying those products. <laughs> yeah. I like Herbalife products, right? I mean, they've been around. Um, you know, I think the uh, this this 
this get rich quick thing that people think the stock market is the way to get rich quick is really almost sad because <laughs> they it's a it's terrible not, idea it's a terrible it's not, idea especially when you know you can get rich slowly so like patience is kind of important but like if i said to you i know that you can be a millionaire in 20 years if you do this but you have to wait 20 years okay um if you're 12 you're like who cares i'm 32 i'm a multimillionaire. that sounds good <laughs> to me right but if you're 50, it doesn't sound as good. And, and I think that's the problem. Everybody wants everything now. I want to, if I can make some great trades, I can then, you know, buy this, this watch or go on this trip or, or buy my wife something. And it just doesn't work that way. And that's not really the purpose. You're building wealth. You're making the investments. You're building your overall financial plan over time. And, and you can start that at any age, 12, 25, 50. You can try it uh, at any age, start building your wealth. This is a great time to do it. Um, but, but certainly there's no advantage in trying to outsmart the stock market. Now I learned that lesson in 99. I went to the stock exchange for the first time. I went to the New York stock exchange and I'll tell you, Zachary, I was like you and, and Brett. And when I got to the, the Mecca of stock trading, I was like, wow, in heaven. So I got to spend a day with a floor trader back in the days when so cool. they actually had floor traders and real specialists like trading places, the movie. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. Um, it's really funny, uh, Eddie Murphy movie, uh, or Wall Street, the movie. Um, if you watch Wall Street, the movie, you can see how the old exchange used to work with telephones and everything. So I spent a day, and that was the day I realized that people who traded against the people on the New York Stock Exchange were losers, that they were going to lose because the people on the exchanges were way smarter, had better information. They were way more experienced than the people sitting in their laptops, in their houses, playing on Robinhood or whatever, they have no chance against the guys at the New York Stock Exchange. And, and that's when I was like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not trying to trade and outsmart everybody. I'm going to focus on making good investments. And, and of course, that was 99, the top of the market. Uh, it was uh, the day the AOL Time Warner merger was completed. And it turned out I was there, like at the top of the market. Um, and I think it took like 15 or 20 years to get back there on the NASDAQ. Um, but anyways, um, why don't you tell us what your YouTube page is? Uh, so if you want to follow Zach, um, follow his videos. I highly recommend it. Uh, what's your YouTube page, Zachary? So my YouTube page is Young Investor. I do actually have a custom URL now. If you just type up, if you type up just like youtube.com slash Young Investor, you should Great. take Young Investor. So there awesome. you go. YouTube slash Young Investor. Um, you know, I think it's a great source if you have young children you know, get them on this page. I'm going to try to shove my kids onto this page off of uh, unspeakable today. And I don't know if that's going to work, but uh, they get angry when I try this, but I'll say, Hey, look, this kid's just a little bit older than you, Max, you know, um, my also kids into follow our own social media as well. Hit subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you guys are looking at it right now, um, we obviously do a ton of these great shows, whether it's on a ton of different topics, like mindset of a champion, you know, if you're charitably inclined to young investors like this, great ideas of the future. So we're pushing out content, um, every single week like this. Absolutely. Go to our YouTube page at Gerber Kawasaki. You can follow us on Twitter at Gerber Kawasaki. Most importantly, you can become a client at Gerber Kawasaki. We have no minimums. We want to work with you. Even if you're 12, that's fine too. Um, we, you know, our get invested program is specifically meant to help people build wealth. We're one of the only firms that actually cares about helping people build wealth versus just managing wealth after you have it. So let us help you. I think there's nothing more important than getting started young, saving and investing your money in an intelligent manner. Um, Zach, thank you so much for, for spending the time with us. Um, you're, you know, you're kind of a, a wonder. So, Please, wear, legend, a helmet. Zach, Please wear a helmet when you're riding your bike or skateboard, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, keep up the good work. Obviously we'll keep in touch and we're going to do this again. Um, I love your ideas today. Great ideas for us to look at. Um, we just finished our investment meeting uh, before this and, and I couldn't get any of these guys to spit out anything half as good as, <laughs> as you. So, uh, so thank you. I got some reading to do today because I'm going to look at some of these companies. Um, and yeah, and and I think what you can learn also from the show is, um, it it's you never know where you can learn, and and I think if we pre uh, prejudge everything based off age, I was a young kid, and a lot of people wouldn't listen to me when I was a young kid, and I think that's a mistake. 
Um, and that's why I like to, to bring this out. Uh, you're a talented kid. Um, love it. Um, your parents should be proud of you. You're a hardworking kid. So stay out of trouble. Um, don't use all the products that you invest in. You know what I mean? You know, you're still a little young for all that stuff, but, but you know, you're a very mature, intelligent person and I wish you luck too. Um, you're entering a very difficult stage of life, which is called a teenager. So, uh, so if you need any advice, we're, we're here, we've done it. We did teens, we made it, but it, it's, it's, it's a tough, tough time, you know? So hopefully, uh, England and, and, and you guys will get through your COVID and, and, uh, and be safe. And, uh, and thank you again for being on the show. Yep. Thanks for See you. Yeah. See you. So thank you everybody. Have a great afternoon and, uh, or evening in England. <laughs> <laughs>